Welcome to this episode of Mapping Out Ethereum 2.0 with Christine Kim and Ben Edgington. Join the conversation as the ETH 2.0 Dream Team discuss its live development, its potential impact on the crypto markets, and spotlight major Ethereum news events as they develop. This episode is sponsored by Unique One Network and MIMO. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Mapping Out ETH 2.0, hosted by yours truly, Christine Kim and Consensus's Ben Edgington. Hey, everyone. Ben here. Christine and I will be going through your weekly roundup of markets, tech, and community-related news about Ethereum and Ethereum 2.0. Before we get to that, Ben, I have to be honest with you. I had one of the worst weekends of my life. Oh, no. Oh, no. What happened? Well, over the weekend, the weather here in New York City just got insanely bad. And there was just downpours of like rain and thunder to the point where going into the subway, it was like waist high subway, dirty water. Like people had to use garbage bags to like wade into the filth and get onto the train. And even on the train, there were certain stops where like the water would just like flush into the train itself. It was, it was horrible. New York was in chaos. Wow. That sounds uh, unbelievable. I did see pictures of this on the news with sort of uh, waterfalls coming down the the steps into the, into the subway and cars stranded uh, on the streets and just people wading through the water. Does this happen often in New York? I mean, is it really unusual? What's going on? I've never seen this happen before, but it also makes me kind of angry that the infrastructure in the city has gotten to the point where it can't handle the weather. Granted, I think this kind of weather was unprecedented, but it was quite the nerve wracking weekend. I stayed indoors mostly, thank goodness. But yes, it was, it was troubling times. Very wise. I mean, meanwhile, if you were on the other coast where you normally live, you'd be going through a heat wave at the moment. So uh, yeah, it's definitely weird weather time. Yeah, climate change is real, everyone. And it's actually negatively impacting everybody's day to day here. Okay. So well, we're, we're dealing with it. We're, we're stopping the, uh, the, the miners. We're moving to proof of stake. We're going to save the planet. I love how you just snuck that right in there. You had to give a promo to proof of stake. Classic, Ben. Classic. All right. Well, yes, it's true. Things are actually looking a lot more positive on the crypto markets front. We're going to start off our show as we usually do with our market segment. And one of the big news items from the week is that crypto financial services firm Circle is going public. Circle is most known for creating their US dollar peg stablecoin USDC in partnership with Coinbase. USDC is one of the most popular stable coins being used on decentralized finance applications and other centralized exchanges. And Circle is going to go public by merging with Concord Acquisition Corp, a publicly traded special purpose acquisition corporation. They're basically these shell companies for the sole purpose of going public. And the deal that Circle's struck up values their company at $4.5 billion. Atlas Merchant Capital, the sponsor of Circle's going public deal is taking a bet that not only will USDC rise in value and demand over the years, but also that all the other things that Circle does as a financial services firm, such as digital asset transaction and treasury services, that these will also be increasingly lucrative forms of business for finance in the years to come. Quite exciting news, don't you think, Ben? This is incredible. I haven't really seen this before. 4.5 billion is a juicy valuation. 
stable coins are amazing. I mean, they really are what make crypto usable. We talk about crypto for payments. It was the original vision for Bitcoin, but nobody wants to use Bitcoin for payments because number go up, right? I mean, you don't want to pay a million Bitcoin for a pizza you know, 10 years ago because it's worth huge amounts of money now. And the same is true of Ether as well, because everybody expects number to go up. Nobody's using Ether very much for payments. So having something which is stable in local currency terms is transformative. It's a game changer. It makes a whole system usable in day-to-day life. And I favor DAI as my stable coin of choice because it's sort of decentralized. decentralized. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To an extent, I mean, a lot of the collateral now for DAI is more centralized stable coins. So USDT and USDC actually form quite a hefty chunk of the collateral underpinning DAI. So that's a sort of interesting risk. Uh, is it, it used- more collateral for ETH than it is for USDC and other centralized stable coins? Do you know which wins out? Like which is the greater collateral? more popular collateral asset. I saw something recently that suggested that USDC was over half, but I could have misinterpreted that chart, but it's a good chunk of collateral for DAI is now other stable coins. Whereas originally it was just single collateral DAI, which was uh, Ether. They wanted to broaden the base of people who were interested in locking up their asset. So, but anyway, that's kind of a, a side show. You know, I prefer DAI. The search for a truly algorithmic stablecoin goes on. Really interesting topic, you know. And the search for Oracle, an Oracle system that can pull in the price of the US dollar and pull in basically the fluctuations of the financial markets, any event that happens outside of the blockchain. I think a big mm-hmm. part of what makes stablecoins work is the Oracling service. And that is an interesting area of development that. Ben, maybe you know more about, but is not actually very decentralized or it's difficult to have decentralized Oracle services. Yeah, though I think, you know, the Chainlink and other Oracles would want to pitch to you that they're very decentralized. So here's some trivia for you. Here's your blockchain trivia for the week. There was a proposal to put in protocol in Ethereum 2 a price feed of some major currencies, you know, like uh, dollar, euro, yen, uh, pound. Uh, and actually enshrine it at the protocol level so that all of the ETH2 clients would be responsible for getting that data from whatever source they wanted and then putting it on a slot-by-slot basis on the chain so that it had an inbuilt price oracle. And this was decentralized because we have like 180,000 validators and they'd all be ideally using separate price feeds. So that was a Justin Drake proposed that some time ago, but it got shot down pretty quickly for a number of reasons. Basically, you know, as a owner of one of the, the products, it made me very nervous having that much responsibility on, on our clients, so, which maybe is misplaced because it has a lot of responsibility anyway. But you get into politics at that point. You know, what, what happens if Europe breaks up and the euro, you know, the two different versions of the euro come, which do we support? You know, you have to think about this kind of stuff in advance. So, you know, if uh, one, a currency forks, which fork do we follow? Uh, so all that sort of thing. And Vitalik basically killed it off. Uh, he didn't like it being enshrined in protocol. That's your trivia for the week. That's juicy. That's interesting. I didn't even know that that kind of a proposal went through and got shot down. You're right. There's your blockchain trivia for the week, guys. There's so many blockchains and NFT marketplaces these days, and none of them work together. Introducing Unique One Network 
the easy way to build multi-blockchain DeFi-enabled NFT marketplaces, where instead of picking your favorite blockchain, you let your users and creators pick for themselves. Powered by Polkadot, Unique One Network lets you service NFT creators and collectors across art, photography, philanthropy, gaming, finance, and more. So do yourself a favor and head over to uniqueone.network now to learn more. That's uniqueone.network to learn more. Looking to exit the volatility of crypto, but don't want to deal with the inflation of the dollar? Minting PAR using MIMO DeFi is exactly what you're looking for to get ahead of that. PAR is the number one Europeg token on the market, minted at an incredibly low 2% interest rate and backed by collaterals like Ether, Bitcoin, and USDC. Stabilize your portfolio, open a vault, and access the power of blockchain through MIMO protocol today at MIMO.capital. That's MIMO, M-I-M-O, dot capital. So we're going to be moving on now to the tech segment of the show. And for today's tech segment, we have a very special guest, Alina Sinelnikova, the CEO of Metis, a layer two scaling solution on Ethereum, leveraging the technology of optimistic rollups to bring faster and cheaper transactions to the network. Hi, Alina, how are you doing today? Hello, thank you so much, Christine, for having me on the show. I'm very good, thank you. Well, first off, I mean, it's a very unique name that you have for this company. Tell me a little bit about the backstory of Metis. Uh, Metis is a Greek goddess. I know that there is a confusion sound with the French word Metis, which is not that, like with Metis is even written differently. Right, yes. Uh, so Mitis is the Greek uh, goddess of prudence and wisdom. And that's who we selected as our, I would say, you know, icon and a leader. If you read Greek mythology, so she was a very important figure in there. So she's one of the titanists. Also, I came as a, a CryptoChicks background, as I'm also CEO and CryptoChicks. I'm very keen to move forward with the same a spirit into Mitis as well uh, for hiring women. Half of our staff is women. Therefore, we have the female uh, also leader and uh, figure and the icon as our logo and the name as well. Thank you for asking this question because it's very important to us. Getting a bit more into the technical side, I mean, there's a lot of different technical solutions to scaling on a layer two network. I had mentioned that you guys leverage optimistic rollups. But can you give the lowdown on how does this technology, optimistic rollups, compare to other layer two scaling solutions? We've got ZK rollups, plasma, state channels, side chains. It can get so confusing. There are different flavors of those, and it's, it's the question how you build them. For example, there's a popular right now solution that Polygon implemented, and then now everybody's keen because they are the first one in production and, you know, I'm very keen for that team that they build that solution. This is a side chain that they built so far. In the project, they have two different vision of, to build different solutions like optimistic rollups and the ZK rollups. And they also have uh, Plasma is working. Yes, these are the different ones to lower the fees, but uh, they are also different flavors. So one is more secure, other ones is more decentralized. So we decided to go with the decentralized as the optimistic rollup which is completely leveraging uh, Ethereum security. Also, it's processing transaction in the batches. And therefore, the transaction fees are split between all the transactions that there are in the batch. And you, know, you just basically pay just a fraction of the transaction fee of the gas fee. 
and that's how it, it is cheaper. So in essence, it's like that. But at the same time, it is completely decentralized. So for example, as opposed to different uh, layer two solutions, like for example, the side chains, which are, they are centralized, right? So there are people that like, kind of like a key holder to that money that uh, is deployed into that, this layer twos. And therefore, the greater risk that are carrying, you know, what if something happened to this organization that holding these keys? And, uh, you know, if, if what if the people that holding these keys are incentivized somehow, you know, if you put billions and billions of dollars into something centralized, you always have a risk. Uh, but they are easier to build. Optimistic rollup is harder to build and it's taken longer time because it is a decentralized network. It has to be all the supporters of this network also decentralized. They picked in a decentralized way. So basically anyone can be one. There are certain rules, of course, but they all need to be incentivized to support it. And the whole economy system needs to be developed behind it in order to make it sustainable as well, secure and sustainable too. Uh, so what, how Mitis is different from the just the optimistic rollup, we also implemented multiple sequencers and multiple VMs as well, which we removed the bottlenecks from the just the classic optimistic rollups. Again, uh, all these sequencers and uh, multiple rangers, they need to be incentivized. So therefore, it's taking longer time to build all these techniques into this decentralized solution. But once it's out, it's as decentralized as Ethereum is. It's a bold claim that Metis is just as decentralized as Ethereum. And among the layer two scaling solutions that while it's, you know, it takes more time to build, this mm -hmm. layer two scaling solution is the best out of all of them for decentralization purposes. I personally don't have too much of a strong tech background, but Ben, is that true? Is that something you agree with? Tell me a little bit about your response to what Alina just said. It's hard to judge without knowing a little more about the architecture and so forth. I think, uh, Alina, you, you're working with the optimism roll-up. What are you doing above and beyond what optimism has done? What are your end goals that you want to do differently from what optimism is doing? Uh, yes, optimism, is in order to withdraw the funds, again, so you, when you're processing this transaction in a batch, right? And then you need to withdraw them all in the, back into the layer one, right? So because all the processes happening in the layer two, it's kind of like a blockchain on top of the other blockchain. But you need to withdraw. And this time, it takes a longer time to validate all those transactions to make sure that everything is correct. So what we, like innovation that we did, we removed the bottlenecks, which, for example, is supposed to allow us to reduce the time from one week of the withdrawal time to just a few hours. So as short as a one hour, you can withdraw the funds into the layer one. That's the innovation that we did is comparing to the optimistic rollup. We do it with, um, again, so we implemented the rangers and sequencers. Again, you can go ahead and you can read our white papers. It's all described there. And, you know, we also have our own YouTube channel. We're explaining it exactly how it works. The whole project is open source, correct? When you talk yes. about the white paper. Okay, gotcha. And it's already yes. live on the Ethereum network as in people can use Metis right now to scale their applications. It is right now. What We're going to public this net just in a few weeks. Uh, so probably this month at the end of the month. Uh, we already released it in the test net, in the beta, beta test net version. So right now we have a, the taste of it. Our users can 
taste through the uh, test swap. So we put the Uniswap, fork of the Uniswap, and we improved it a lot. <laughs> we improved it a lot. And we also put it on top of our layer two so people can see how low is the transaction fee and how fast the transactions are. That is running on our layer two. Uh, so if you go to testswap.mitis.io, you can see it. The, the interface is very, very similar to Uniswap. So if you're familiar with it, it will be very easy for you to compare. It, it is improved in somewhat as well, because we are very focusing on the usability too. Mm -hmm. And this is our target audience for us is the ones that are not on the blockchain yet. We're talking right now about mm -hmm. the kind of innovations that you've made to layer two scaling solutions, specifically when it comes to optimism. I'm wondering, Elena, I mean, you know that there's a scaling solution for Ethereum in the works, not layer two, but on the protocol level, on the, on the very base level of Ethereum. Given your research on scaling, blockchain scaling, how effective do you think that the sharding proposal will be that Ben's working on, many other Ethereum 2.0 client teams are working on? What kind of relationship will that scaling solution have with your layer two scaling solution? And do you actually think that Overall, it's a smart way to scale the blockchain, this sharding proposal. Probably I'm not in a higher position to, to talk about this technology and say that this is the right or wrong way. We will see, right? Sharding, of course, is made for the purpose to make it faster, not to wait all the nodes to process everything, but it's split it and process in parts, right? So like you divide and process multiple manageable parts. So that's what sharding is. And of course, it should speed up the transactions. To make it secure, to make it decentralized, it takes time to build it. So we might be a few years away from when this solution is released. And I know that they're building, but there's lots of at stake, right? So lots of money involved, everything. And they need to make sure that this is completely secure, it's completely safe. And they, when they go to production, it's completely, you know, fail-proof. I would rather them to take a longer time to build it. They probably will. And then there we have a very great product. And once we have it, yeah, it's going to be the future. I believe it's going to be fast and it's going to be great and we're all going to be satisfied. But even then, there, there could be faster solutions, right? So that's Right. Ben, like you said, they take a lot of time. And in the mm -hmm. meanwhile, these layer two scaling solutions, your METIS is going live later this month. It's not going live, you know, a year from now, it's going to be available for users to scale their applications currently. So Elena, we normally do a community segment as well. And I thought since you mentioned already that you are co-founder of Crypto Chicks, that this would be a really nice uh, discussion topic if you're happy to uh, talk to us about it. What of is course. Crypto Chicks and, and what's the story behind it? Crypto Chicks is a nonprofit organization, nonprofit educational hub for women. So we created it for women for, as a place for women to come and learn you know, blockchain, crypto, to build their own startups, whatever they want to start in the blockchain technology, we help them. We've been quite successful, even though the, the start of it was very interesting. So how it's all started when Ethereum was just out. So uh, my co-founder, Natalia, who is my long, long time friend, so we were installing Ethereum wallet on a Windows machine. And we had lots of troubles doing that. Despite we are both uh, have a software development background, right? So we're both techies and it was not very uh, trivial to install it. Like lots of steps and it was breaking and doing this and that. And there's no information uh, on the websites, you know, anywhere in the web. 
we thought like if it's that's hard for us cannot even imagine how it is hard for would be for like for example my grandmother to do it and then you know blockchain is an awesome technology but it will not be even adopted if it's that hard so we decided to help you know blockchain help ethereum help bitcoin and uh, create this meetup group for women to uh, come and we can help them to learn about wallets to learn about exchanges to learn about safety when dealing with the crypto and that's how it's all started the first meetup we had 50 people and grandmothers came to with the canes <laughs> and, and the walkers Wonderful. and the person yeah. who founded it with you alina natalia you mentioned your longtime friend she's the mother of ethereum founder vitalik is yeah yeah right? so yeah how do you think we ended up installing ethereum wallet <laughs> yeah that's exactly why <laughs> because yeah she she needed to install this wallet and she asked vitalik for help and he said you know mom i'm not a windows guy so you know you are on your own <laughs> because yeah, he couldn't figure out how to install it on the windows and therefore she asked me to do it and that's how it's all started that was the whole story we asked the question if vitalik has anything to do with crypto chicks Vitalik has nothing to do with CryptoChicks. This is something that Natalia and I created. And Vitalik, though, helping us because he's speaking at every, our every conference. And thank you so much to him for that. But we had to, you know, achieve everything ourselves. Really, really proud of that. It was really hard because we needed to start with a, like zero money. And uh, we had to raise the whole, you know, the funds for the nonprofit. And we're still working who really are, hard. Who are your biggest funders for CryptoChicks right now? We are funding it ourselves. We don't have any big funders. Last year, we had Portis, Portis Wallet, that is actually was our recurrent sponsor. We also had among supporters, Royal Bank of Canada. We had Microsoft, we had IBM. And these are the companies that we went to and we called them and they supported us out of good of their hearts. Actually, I have a meeting with RBC right now. And this is something that, again, you know, none of the blockchain people helped us in. We have a team of volunteers and they stayed with us for about now three years that we are existing, for four years, close to four years with, with no pay. Women like to help women and we are doing that. And right now we're actually hiring a co-founder, hiring, we put the advertising out for the new co-founder who would help us to scale because we also created CryptoChicks Hatchery, which is incubator. User base and everything, and we need to scale. So we're right now looking and we, it seems like we found one. Wonderful. So just to finish, I, I have a genuine question for you, which is I'm somebody who leads and hires within Consensus, which is quite a big organization in this space. And it's very important to us to achieve diversity in the workforce and in, in our hiring. What simple advice would you give to somebody like me to help me to broaden our base of diverse candidates in particular, uh, improve that male-female ratio that, uh, that you mentioned, you, you've achieved 50-50? How do we do this? When we hiring, we notice that when the guys apply, they you know apply even without experience and the knowledge. And when women apply, they're 200% ready for that job. So I know that if the women applied, like, know that, that she must be good. It was never a mistake. That's, <laughs> That's so how I built my Honestly, ben, <laughs> let me also jump in here on this conversation. Female representation in crypto, because I must say, I do think it's a lot harder for women to get involved and have their voices heard and, and participate in this space just because of their gender. I think that there is this kind of... Um, preconceived notion that 
women are, are particularly less technically minded, just have less technical skills overall than men. And so in the hiring process, there can be those like implicit biases that makes you overlook certain applications or those applications don't really make it to your desk. I do think that actively partnering with organizations like CryptoChecks, but also like going out of your way to be in settings and groups where there is a, a lot of female representation to kind of try and increase the environment in which you can find talented female developers. I think that's really important because it's not staying in certain groups and, and silos. It can get pretty male dominated, but it does take like an additional effort to try and break into different silos, silos that you wouldn't necessarily come across. I think that's really important. I, it's one of the things that even within Coindesk, I'm always on LinkedIn actively searching for female tech reporters. If there's a, a group me or like a meetup happening that's focused on like women in crypto, oftentimes I'll invite my male colleagues over just so that they can hear a different perspective mm. or see like different faces of representation. But I don't know. What are your thoughts, Ben? That's cool. That, that's helpful. It, it's tough because we are not finding women candidates applying for the roles. I mean, you know, we, we're trying to explore new recruitment strategies, new places to find, you know, women who have the technical capabilities. You know, of course, we have all the unconscious bias training and all of that internally. But unless your pipeline is full of men and women who wish to do this work, it's, it's hard to, to find that balance. So things are improving slowly. I mean, the, with certainly within consensus, and I think more generally uh, wider in the hiring, I think that there's a bit more balance than there used to be, but it's still, it's a big challenge. And it's something that we are very keen to address. Until very recently, we were the only ETH2 development team with a woman on the team, Meredith. She left last week, sadly. She's gone to be CTO of another company. So Congratulations to Meredith, but you know Meredith, we're, we're we're back, back. to square one. <laughs> That's so. Do you know Ben what the gender ratio is within consensus? How many men to women? I don't have that number to at my fingertips. It's the usual sort of thing where the the tech roles are disproportionately male, and there's more of a balance in the kind of non-tech side of things. But yeah, I don't have that number. So it is closely monitored and, and reported on. I, I know that yeah. it's something that, you know, one of our organizational goals is to move the needle on that number over the next quarter and, and half year. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly all the women crypto devs are at Mintus because Alina, she scooped them all up. She just said, you're not going to any of these other companies. You're going to come to Mintus. Like so. For me also, I, even though it seems that on the interview, maybe uh, she will not be a good fit. I still give a chance and know so far they did not disappoint me. They actually surprised me. So they always under promise and over deliver. So that's, that's how can I explain? Yeah. Yeah. I love this. I love the female power. <laughs> um, alrighty. Well, thank you so much, Alina, for being on the show. That's it for mapping out ETH 2.0 this week. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. Please be sure to join us again next week for another weekly roundup of your markets, tech, and community news related to the ongoing and active evolution of the Ethereum blockchain. If you've got any questions at all you'd like answered on this podcast, feel free to connect with each of us on Twitter. Our handles will be in today's show notes. You can also subscribe to our newsletters. I write every other week on what's new in ETH2, which you can find at eth2.news or follow me on Twitter and I'll let you know when the next one is out. Christine's newsletter is called Valid Points and comes out every Wednesday. 
and you can find that at coindesk.com. See you all next week for mapping out ETH 2.0, Ethereum as it was meant to be. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to Mapping Out ETH 2.0, part of the Coindesk Podcast Network. This episode featured Christine, Kim, and Ben Edgington with guest Alina Sanel Nikova. Today's show is produced, edited, and announced by Michelle Mousseau with music by Tide Electric. Did you enjoy the show? We would love to hear what you think. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred service and talk to us directly via email at podcasts at coindesk.com.